Welcome everyone to this week's really big fan podcast. I am your host, Chizuk, and joined as always by my co-host and, right, and wife, acronym. And uh, we are here a day late this week, but that's okay. You had stuff to do last night. Well, I thought I had stuff to do last night. And then you didn't have stuff to do. Yeah, I didn't have stuff to do. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it was a big, big old fail. But if you're listening like in the audio format, then we're not actually a day late. No. We might be a few hours late, but we're not actually a day late. I haven't <laughs> figured out if I'm going to produce this tonight when we're done or if I'm just going to wait till tomorrow. Yeah. You got you got moves to make. It's fine. I do. I do. But uh, we are here and um, I say we're a day late. If you like to watch us on Twitch, then we're a day late. Mm-hmm. And we usually do this on Twitch on Wednesday nights around seven o'clock. And uh, at twitch.tv backslash really big fan pod, that's where you can find us doing this in a live setting. You can interact with us in the chat and you can uh, see what we look like. Why would you want to see what we look like? Uh, yeah, we're not we're not in the cute form today. <laughs> you definitely uh, doll yourself up a lot more than I do yeah. when we get on camera. Well, I try to not look like I'm a corpse. You're you're better looking than I am. I, I don't have any makeup on. I'm wearing the shirt I took a nap in. Yeah, sleep hair. I got sleep hair. That's just how this thing works. So yeah, uh, we're gonna talk about one of my favorite bands growing up, Nirvana, in the uh, interview segment. But before we get there, you know what time it is. It's time for headlines. Headlines. <laughs> No. <laughs> Can't wait to see what the AI does to that. Oh, it's going to just mush you out completely. It is. Yeah, it's probably just going to be uh, just nothing. <laughs> we'll be there. Uh, so where to start? Well, let's start with let's start with the most recent thing, and that is the filing for the lawsuit against Vince McMahon. Yeah. From uh, the the uh, lady who he had employed according to the lawsuit, in 2019 till recently, and then paid a bunch of money not to tell anybody what he'd, uh, what he'd done while she was employed. Uh, the paperwork for that has come out, and uh, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, super gross. It would be, but, you know, I, I when the allegations came out in the first place, I was just like, this is totally legit. Like, this definitely happened. Yeah. You just... That that man's been out running the devil for so long. It's it's finally time. And um, so in in the in the paperwork, a uh, friend of the show, Eric Benes, has, has been reading it this afternoon since it dropped, and she sent me the Wall Street Journal article, which I could not read because I do not subscribe to the Wall Apple, Street Journal. Yeah, and the Apple News thing. Yeah, she sends things through Apple News sometimes. Um, but in the in the paperwork are uh, photos of text messages. That uh, an 80-something-year-old Vince McMahon had sent to her, proving that a horny man is a horny man his whole life. Yep. Um, and it also implicates that uh, she may have been part of getting Brock Lesnar to return to the WWF. Oh, boy. That's, or the WWE, I guess, at, at some point. I, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how it all shakes out in court, but the text messages are pretty damning. Yeah, I don't even think I want to read them, to be honest with you. No, it's pretty gross. I, I just am going to accept that they're bad and yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's real gross. Um, and it comes at, like in a week where there was so much positive news mm-hmm. 
at the front half, like we're we're a couple of days out from the Royal Rumble, which is probably the one of the most fun pay per views there are. Yeah, it's where you get the most surprises and it's got fun match type and everything. Um, Monday they announced that uh, starting this time next year we would be watching Monday Night Raw on Netflix. Yep, which is wild. And they pushed that deal through before this dropped. They certainly did. Um, we got uh, Rhea and Bianca and Cody on the front of the the video game. Video game. Yeah, the two K twenty four video game. Moved. Was yes, yeah, a very cute behind the scenes videos of them. You know, being told that they were they'd made the cover, and then you uh, see the one of Tez and Bianca. I did not. He's on the phone, like she's FaceTiming him. Yeah. And she goes, she's like, I'm calling to tell you something. He goes, you made the cover of the game. And then she's like, how do you know? He goes, I know everything. (laughs) And he goes, I told you last year you were going to be on the cover of the game. And now you're on the cover of the game. (laughs) And she's just like, apparently I need to have Tez just do my manifesting for me. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, the parent company that owns the WWE now and the UFC TKO appointed... Dwayne The Rock Johnson to their board of directors, a board of directors that I'd have to imagine somewhere in the next couple of weeks or months is going to have an empty seat if yeah. this, if this McMahon lawsuit uh, continues. Well, you wonder if that's the reason why they put The Rock in there. Maybe. Like they knew this was coming, so they pulled the plug last minute. Yeah. Throw him in there. Also, another interesting thing about the Netflix uh, going or Raw going to Netflix deal, they're going to put the back catalog of stuff on Netflix, mm-hmm. and they're shutting down the network worldwide. Oh, wow. Year. So, like, even the other countries that have had the WWE Network all this time, it's all, uh, it's all yeah, shuttling to Netflix. Wow. So, to be, what do you do with SmackDown? Well, it remains to be seen. Yeah. I don't know what the contract with Fox is about SmackDown, but... Yeah, because that's going to be weird if it's if they do uh, just raw and they put that on, and they shut the network. Like all of the back catalog of SmackDown is not anywhere. Oh well, the back catalog of SmackDown will be there. Yeah, but like the the live show, the Friday show, or the NXT shows. Yeah, or the pay. I I haven't. I don't remember reading whether or not the the PLEs. Yeah, will be on the uh, on on Netflix. But uh, another interesting thing is that if you pay for what is going to be the ad-free version of Netflix, mm-hmm. it will not go to commercial. Yeah. So it'll be just like watching the live show where you get to see like the headlocks and the weird silly spots mm-hmm. that they do while they know they're in commercial. No, that's and they're just buying time. Yeah. Till they come back. So yeah, that'll be really fun and interesting. Yeah. I guess uh I guess we'll be dumping Peacock for Netflix. <laughs> Which hopefully Netflix can uh, organize it better than Peacock ever has. We still already have access to Netflix through somebody else. So, like, as long as, you know, Peacock still has SmackDown, I like it depends on what they're going to do with it. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I got some announcements. Go ahead. Going from Upheaval. Um, Upheaval Festival for you Michiganders is a rock and metal festival that happens in Grand Rapids on July 19th and 20th. And they've been slow releasing their lineup, and it looked like there was like a lot of um, local people being announced at first. Except um, Godsmack is the headliner on day one. Okay. And then from Ashes to New was the other band that had been added. They still haven't announced the second headliner yet. There's been rumors it might be Bad Omens. Don't know if that's legitimate or not, but that would be really cool if it was. Um, Bad Flower was announced just today. 
Uh, Aaron Jones was announced yesterday along with Icy Stars and Beartooth. So we're still getting the, the actual headliners in, but it's looking pretty good. You said it's a two-day festival? Yeah, that's a two-day festival. Oh, so there's going to be like a ton of bands there. Yeah, that was the one that I went out to last year. Yeah. And, did, and that was um, Bring Me the Horizon and Falling in Reverse were yep. the headliners. So that'll be pretty interesting to see how that one pans out. But we had some other ones that dropped today as well. Um, the one that's happening the same weekend, unfortunately, as uh, Upheaval is, I'm trying to pull it up, Rockfest, which happens in um, Wisconsin. Oh, well, Upheaval's significantly closer. Yes. Um, same weekend, but it's Jelly Roll, Chevelle, The Who, Fever 333, and The Two Live Crew. Every time you say the who, you say it like it's the, the 60s Q? band, the who, the, yeah, the who. when it's what the, is it, the who. I think it's the hue. Once again, I've only ever read this name. I yeah. don't even, I didn't even know who they were until I was headed to the film order to shoot them. So I don't know. That's funny. Yeah. I literally didn't know it was going for asking Alexandria. So I, I didn't know. Who are these Mongolian guys playing throat instruments? And Metallica. Yeah. Wait, I don't know. They're cool, but like. Oh, they're super just, cool. Um, Shine Down, Parkway Drive, Beartooth, Atreyu, and From Ashes to New. So there's some crossover. I see Icy Stars is in there as well. Um, and then 30 Seconds to Mars. Yeah, they're kind of heavy. There's a lot of screaming involved. I, I mean, they're older stuff, yes, but now they're like pop techno. Right. Um, 311, Kill Switch Engage, Seven Dust, and Dirty Honey. 311 is like... Primus 2.0 and that they yes. they fit in with everything else. They do. Because they're not like everything else, but everybody else is just like, yeah, it's 311. So then they have a bonus bash. So theirs goes three uh, three days and they have a bonus day, which is the fourth, versus just two for um, upheaval. The bonus bash day is Vince Neil and Quiet Riot. Oh, so bonus <laughs> bash is 80s hair metal. Burning Witches and Psycho Shtick. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So there's there's definitely some weird ones in there, but it's also it it's like packed. So I, I given that they have this lineup for who they have um, coming through, I don't know if any of these undercard guys are gonna end up making it over to the so people, people lineup. You said it's the same weekend, right? Yeah, when you start planning like these, because incarceration also happens that weekend. Oh, geez. So. Incarcerations, Ohio, we have upheaval rock fests in Wisconsin. And they basically, like, some of the lineups end up being somewhat similar because yeah. they're all touring. Right. You start to, like, as you're looking at tour announcements, you start to, like, connect the lines between all of them. Well, that's like when we saw Death Cab. They, you, you had, they were in a festival in, what, Chicago that weekend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were in, uh, at Chica- in Chicago that Saturday, and then I drove home, and they were here on Sunday. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of how it goes is you start going between the two of them and or, or like, multiple festivals. And as far as right now, I'm not seeing, like, a um, like a full listed lineup for incarceration yet. So I don't know if they have actually announced it, but it's the same exact weekend. And I know that last year when we didn't have in this moment when they dropped, yeah, they were at incarceration the next day and played. Mm-hmm. So... Well, the other big news this week has been the game that uh, I think we talked about it a couple months ago when they previewed it that was known as Pokemon with Guns <laughs> has finally come out. And uh, Pokemon people are 
uh, on one hand, some of them are furious, and on the other hand, some of them are like, "All right, there's competition." Right. Maybe the Pokemon games will be good. I've seen I've seen that take quite often. Is that like the last few Pokemon games aren't like like feel very cookie cutter and aren't very good kind of thing? So maybe this will give them some competition. Uh, there's also been discourse about the um, monsters in Pal World. That's the name of the actual game mm. uh, being u- generated using AI. Oh. Which um, because the makers of uh, the company called Pocket Pair have created other games that have used AI in them. And a lot of them just look like Pokemon. They do. With, uh, you know, with, with things changed. Yeah, but, you can definitely see. Uh, they were probably like, make me a Pokemon that's not a Pokemon. Yep. <laughs> Sold 7 million copies in five days. Uh, it's first week. Uh, the game is essentially, what was I going to call it? I mean, you kept calling it Pokemon Dumb. Yeah, no, but it's like a mix. Of, it's, it's Fortnite meets Pokemon. Okay. Because there's building and crafting. And there's like a survival element like in um, uh, Minecraft that you can like as you catch these these little monsters, you you can have them like help build your town hmm. or buildings or something. You can actually set them up as defense for, for your town against other monsters. That's where you get there's a screenshot of these little like they look like the electric sheep Pokemon, but they have like um, mounted guns in front of them. Oh, geez. Um, another thing that was really neat that even if you don't, you know, understand the game, but you like Pokemon makes a bunch of sense. So there is like the equivalent of raid bosses in this game, which is in an MMO is a boss that is so big that you need to get a whole bunch of people together to beat them. You yeah, can't so beat them like all by yourself. Center monster on Pokemon Unite. Yeah. Sure. Fair enough. Um, so there was a, there's this giant raid boss that these, uh, this, these five different people were playing online together with and they, they weren't leveled enough to hurt him mm-hmm. but realized that he was weak against fire mm-hmm. so they built a circle of campfires and then drew him into like kited <laughs> him into the campfires and just kept running away from him while he took fire damage and beat him that way <laughs> that's amazing that's <laughs> like chant chant do you guys with the book book book, book. Every time that they're playing Phasmophobia, they're in a circle around the book going, book, book, book. book. <laughs> I can hear it from it, where I'm at, and it's hilarious. If it worked, you know, if it didn't work three out of five times that we did it, we would not do it. It's the same thing when you use the ghost box in Phasmophobia. Fred is always like, are you French? Are you pizza? Are you near? Kind of thing. I hear you going, are you an asshole ghost? That seems to work as well. They seem to get very <laughs> agitated when you ask if they're an asshole ghost. So <laughs> that's my favorite question to set them off. But yeah, Pal World is uh, Pal World's doing big numbers. I don't know. The idea of a game that's like part Pokemon, but then part Fortnite does intrigue me. Yeah. No, I'd be interested. I think it's on, it's on Steam and it's on Xbox. That's part of the reason. World is everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason it's everywhere is because it's currently on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. So if you have Xbox Game Pass, you can just try it out. Yeah. Which plenty of people are doing. Yeah. 189 million on Steam alone. Well, all my news is music news. So I got another one for you. All right. Um, so I've already talked to you about this because I've been super stoked about it. But uh, they put out the teaser lineup for Movement yesterday. Yeah. And Idris Elba is on it. So he was... he, people were like, what? And I go, no, no, he DJs. I know he DJs. Give me a second. And I went down a rabbit hole. So uh, Idris Elba actually has been DJing earlier than he's been an actor. 
Wow. He was DJing in his 20s. And he's got like he's got the skills. He's he's a great selector. He what a crime it would be if he was like a Daft Punk kind of DJ where he wore a mask because he's right. such a handsome. He's a handsome man. And so um, then he went into acting. Yep. And obviously blew up. And so now he's been DJing here and there on the side for fun at different things. Right. So um, there his resident advisor profile, which is like one of the techno websites, um, talks about that. He will spin at small East London bars as a surprise DJ, mm. or he'll be at places in like Ibiza, uh, Glass and Berry, that sort of thing, doing sets. So it's kind of like how Shaq DJs, right? Do. Shaq goes. Like he doesn't have. Diesel. He doesn't have to like do minor shows or right, or exactly. like tours or anything. Festivals. Yeah. So, um, He's going back to back, which is you play with another DJ. Okay. With Kevin Saunderson, who is the founder of Techno. He's like the Detroit legend and surprisingly the first DJ I ever got to photo shoot oh, <laughs> at Grasshopper Underground when I worked there. I momentarily had a panic attack that night. And it's like 2015 and I had like my first SLR. Uh, and they're like, okay, well, you're going to photograph Kevin Saunderson tonight. And I Google them and I'm like, what? Yeah. What the fuck? And it's yeah, ever since then, I I think uh, if I wanted to expand out throughout my catalog and had to pick who I've photographed the most, it is Kevin Saunderson. Sure. Like if I'm going rock bands, it's uh, Rise Against. But like you zoom out and it's Kevin Saunderson all the way. I've photographed that man like 10 different times. Um, phenomenal DJ. And so I wanted to see what you're just Elba's play style was like. So I listened to an hour plus long set of his yeah. yesterday and I just had it on and I was doing other stuff. Dude is great. So, and he's got the similar vibe. Like you can tell he definitely has like the right influences and stuff. So him with Kevin Saunderson is gotta be bomb. That's cool. So there, I'm excited about that. And the other one that I told you about that is on this teaser lineup, cause this isn't even the full lineup. This is just the teaser. Fatboy Slim. I can't imagine that between Idris Elba and Fatboy Slim that there's going to be anybody bigger. Right, exactly, you know? Um, I, I mean, I was like, if this is the teaser, they're either shooting their whole wad right now or this is going to be massive. Right. Um, They have Boys Noise coming... Oh, excuse me. Boys Noise is coming back, who I've seen before play with Skrillex as Dog Blood. They have their own DJ duo, so it'll be cool to see him again. Um. DJ Manx, obviously, she's there almost every year, but she's immaculate. Um, Gorgon City played in 2022, and now we get to see them again. I loved their set. And there are some other names on here that I've heard before, like Goldie, Honey Dijon, Scream, that sort of thing. So we'll see how it all pans out. I know um friend of the show, Jacob Gayampa, is like, I need the rap lineup. And I go, yeah, yeah. it's not out yet. You're not going to know that until they drop the full thing. Because <laughs> there's always, on Saturday night, one of the stages does rap. Yeah. So, like, last time when they did have the festival, we ended up staying at the stage on Saturday because we were like, let's get all of the rappers knocked out because they right. had um, 3-6 Mafia last year which is like Juicy J and a couple other people. I know who um, 36 Mafia is. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, and like Cash Doll and 
I think Icewear Vezo was on that one. One year they had two chains. That's how I photographed um, Wu Tang Clan and RZA. I can't. I can't. Every every time I hear the name Two Chains, I just remember the Bathroom of the Future guys when you were showing. Oh yes, yes. Album like like Two Chains or the Menzinger Two, two chains. chains. Right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Because those two things go together. Yeah, they do not. <laughs> um, but like that was how I got Wu Tang. Yeah. And how I got sprayed with champagne by RZA. And stuff like that. So movement has always been kind of cool for that is having their their little corner of rap stuff. But then you get to see all these huge DJs. And one of the things I'm noticing, too, while looking across some of the other festivals, which I'm not going to go into today because it's too long of a thing. um, All of the DJs that we saw last year, I'm seeing pop up on lineups for other festivals this year. Mm. So and they're like the bigger acts, the headliners. So it's really funny that we got them first. Yeah. And now they're on Coachella. They're on Lost Lands. There's like different ones. I was like, this is so funny because Charlotte DeWitt was our headliner. I see Dom Dalla. I see uh, John Summit. Like this is this cracks me up. That's cool. It's really fun, though. Means you got to see them before they blew up. Well, I mean, they were already big at that point anyway, but I'm just saying like, it's funny that like it's almost like they're getting our recycle lineup. Right. We're we're the the tastemaker in that situation. Right. But one of the things that people tend to forget when it comes to movement is that like movement is um, it's an electronic festival. It's not a hometown Detroit festival anymore. Like it has risen beyond that. Right. Even though it's still here. It's a massive festival, and Detroit is one of the bigger epicenters for electronic music because of this festival. So when people kind of poo-poo it and they're like, "Yeah, well, it's just movement. It's whatever." It's like, no, but it's yeah, not for, for us. We live here. We're we just like, ah, it's here. just movement. Yeah, but it's bigger here, than. That. But it's bigger than that, and it's really cool because then you'll see people like there was a clip like a year or two ago where Ludacris was talking to somebody. And somebody brought up how they they love movement in Detroit and like that link got circulated everywhere. And it's just like people literally come from all around the world to come to movement. I bet there's people who live in San Diego that's just like, uh, it's just Comic Con. Right, exactly, exactly. So it's, it's all like the geolocation. Sometimes people take it for granted, but really it is one of the biggest festivals. So. Right. So Disney has some new technology that I think, as long as they can make it affordable, we're going to <laughs> see in the next five or ten years called Hollow Tile. Um, it is uh, made by part of the National Adventures Hall of Fame, Larry Smoot, and it is these tiles. I'll show you the video here that uh, allow you to walk around uh, in a VR setting. Oh, so I wonder if they'd get to that part. Let's see here. But you can see he's it's just like this tile in the center of the room. Yeah. But the way he walks around it, it actually they have the Apple box. On the sensors. Right. Hilarious. And it shows you on the sense that it detects where you are in the sensors and then moves so that you're always in the center. Ah. And the really interesting thing, which I think we are I already passed by. Was that you can have more than one person on this? Yeah, walk. He did around. say uh, you can have a group of people. Or do you think though that people would really like? I mean, that tech is not going to be. Yeah, affordable. look at that. Right. Then so that dancers can do. Amazing that would be cool. I don't know how much of this is translating over the mic. Right, but he said that like dancers could they could, if they had a smaller stage they mm-hmm. could you know. 
do really cool dance routines because the stage would move with them and keep yes. them in the center the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think this primarily, the I think the first place we're going to see this is when it comes to like the the attractions yeah. at Disney World. Yeah, they're talking about Disney parks and stuff. This is not going to be like a consumer grade thing. Or but if them. they can, no, definitely not. But like I said, maybe five years from now, if they can make it affordable, yeah. it'll, it'll def- definitely turn into a thing where like you get a VR headset and instead of sticking two cameras somewhere and, you know, not being able to move around, you now lay this thing on the floor like a dance pad and mm-hmm. Dance Dance Revolution and it move, it keeps you in the center, but let allows you to walk forwards and sideways and do everything. I don't know if video game people will want that, though, because video pe- game people like to sit. I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't have a VR headset. Yeah, like, you know. Well, that did make that me use, motion like, sick. VR headsets and things like that. But, like, most people that play video games are there to sit and play a video game. So yeah. I don't know how much demand there would be for that to be a video game thing. I could see it happening, but it would probably be like thousands of dollars. Probably. So. If if not more. Yeah. But it's very, like, it's very to, interesting, see it, to see it in action is kind of mind-blowing because mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and trying to figure out, like, how did you, how does it do that? I'm, I'm imagining it's like a bunch of little balls that you are walking on, but that would also feel so weird. Yeah. And it feels so off-center. Yeah. Right, that it's like, how does he not just fall down? Right. So it'll be interesting to see how this technology uh, moves forward. And last thing I have is also a theme park thing. Uh, there's a Donkey Kong roller coaster. Yeah. Jumps the rails just like the Super Nintendo. Oh, good. <laughs> so you can see in the like 3D uh, thing here that uh, it, you hit a part in the in the roller coaster, much like in Donkey Kong Country, where it has to hop a rail and then catch another one and the way it actually does it is there's a second rail underneath that oh, yeah. is attached to yeah yeah it's not have literally to. jumping a rail oh my god but that's still really fun it's fun but it's also stressful <laughs> it's stressful enough to play that game and do it I, yeah. I would do it but i'd be terrified that like i would be the one to it would break then it would break and yeah everybody would go down uh-huh. <laughs> that's horrifying <laughs> I hope they have like little plush barrels or something that they throw at you. Oh yeah, that would be no. It'd be so cool to like have um, like if they had a section where you would have like toys and things like that, where you yeah. could get like a Donkey Kong and a Diddy or like the little um alligator guys and stuff. Oh yeah, or you get the little animals that they have. That would be the, cute. The swordfish and the ostrich and yeah. stuff like that. That would be fun. So that's what we got for news for you this week. We're going to uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Nirvana. Because it's, uh, I don't know, it's time to talk about Nirvana. (laughs) Finally time to talk about Nirvana on the Really Big Fan Podcast. Welcome back to the Really Big Fan Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chizak, and I'm joined by our co-host acronym and my wife. Hi. Hi. You're introing us again like that? I am. Whatever. I don't know. That's where my brain went. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, this is our t- interview segment, and uh, you know, typically we'll talk to one of our friends or something about something they're a really big fan about. But uh, we didn't schedule anybody this week. Uh, I'm going to talk to my friend. God, you're my friend. You need better friends. <laughs> I mean, we know this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like one of your disaster friends. All of my friends are disaster friends. <laughs> maybe Sam. <laughs> Sam is the only well-adjusted friend I have. Congratulations, Sam! You heard it here first. <laughs> You're the non-disaster friend. 
Yeah, Christy's not a disaster. No, no, Christy's not. A We're not here to rate your friends in public <laughs> how much of a disaster they are. We're here to talk about the band that got me into rock and roll music. Maybe not my first favorite band. My first, ironically enough, my first favorite band was probably the Monkees. So Which if we'd is so funny. If we'd have talked about the Monkees, we'd have two episodes in a row talking about Monkees. Yeah, and then and that would have uh, been funny. Faceless Tony would be going, "Get to the fucking monkey." Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, um, like many teenagers in in uh, around 1992. So, let me start here. I discovered MTV officially in middle school. Uh, I would. Uh, my parents both worked uh, in the afternoons, so during the summer, I'd have the house completely to myself. So I would play video games. I would, you know, spread my G.I. Joe guys across the house and they'd come home and be like, why are your toys everywhere? Um, <laughs> because but, you weren't here. But I would leave the TV on. Yeah. And I um, do not remember what the very first music video. It might have been like Paula Abdul's Opposites Attract because they had the cartoon cat in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember seeing a music video and being like, oh, this is cool. And then just leaving MTV on. And the summer I was like 15 or something was the summer that like. Okay, MTV, I get it. Mm -hmm. MTV is cool. I'm going to watch MTV for all the time, forever. (laughs) Um, But at the time that I was watching MTV, like most of the big videos were like, uh, there was a a Billy Idol video called Cradle of Love that had a very sexy lady in it. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned Paula Abdul, like the um, Poison was a big rock act, you know, Queen's right. It wasn't Cherry Pie, it was Unskinny Bop, I think. Well, the, the Cherry Pie is from Warren. But, yeah, Cherry Pie is from Warren. the era that they had some of that on. But too. it's before alternative and grunge happens. Yes. Um, so eventually, as I get more into music, I decide I'm going to I want to I want to buy my own cassettes. I want to go to Harmony House and get my own stuff, and that's where my allowance starts going. God, I miss Harmony House. Yeah, me too. And uh, one of the first cassettes I ever get, thanks to the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit, is Nirvana's Nevermind. Mm, okay. And much like my gen- most of my generation, that video and that album kind of completely turned what you knew about music and about the world on its head. Yep. And became what you, I think I said to you the other day, I'm happy that I got into the Beastie Boys at this age. Yes. Because if I'd gotten into it when I was younger, I would have made it a primary part of my personality. And I don't think that would have been (laughs) a good thing at all. Yeah, yeah, that probably would have been bad. You probably would have been like way more of an asshole. Right. (laughs) But I probably would have been hip to Eminem way before he got popular. Probably, yeah. (laughs) You know, Eminem is a really weird one with all of his origins and stuff like that. Right. Like Beastie Boys, it makes a little bit more sense on like the rock side too because they were a punk band before we kind of talked about that during our alternative episode. Right. It's funny to see like... The, the connections that are made. And it, it's funny to me that Nevermind was your gateway for it because I, I assumed it was earlier than that. No. Yeah. No, I was I was a bandwagon jumper like the rest <laughs> of us and picked up Nevermind and, was, and something about the way it's produced. It's all very even and slick and that's all thanks to Butch Vig. Well, and that's why you were, we were talking about this in the first place was because I went on a fucking bender yesterday right. and was listening to... 
all of these alternative bands on live clips, and I was listening to that Butch Vig thing over and over again because it's so fucking cool. Yeah, to listen to the differences. Um, on was that in Bloom? Yeah, and he's uh, adding the vocals in and clicking the buttons, and showing you how he doubled the vocals mm-hmm. and where, and you can hear Dave Grohl's uh, backing vocals clearly. Yeah, and it's so cool. Like you can definitely hear the Dave Grohl that we know now in those recordings, just younger. But um, it's also interesting to like hear the backstory of him being like, yeah, I had to tell him John Lennon did it yep. like before he would actually agree to it. Yeah, and, and that that was that that's always been the story about mm-hmm. uh, getting those vocals doubled, which is oh, is a fascinating thing because like if you're a big fan of just about any band, you'll read like the biography or you'll read anything that you get your hands on with the internet these days. And sometimes stories change. Yes, but some stories never change, and that's one of the ones that I, I I've I've read multiple times over the decades of like Kurt loved the he loved punk but he loved the beatles too yes and butch vig consistently has been like that's how i got him to double it he didn't want to double his vocals because that's something you do on a slick pop record and i was like john lennon doubled his vocals Mm -hmm. kurt's like all right let me try it well and that was the thing too was i came across another clip later it was um a couple people talking about it i forget who one of the guys was from interpol they were on a podcast and they were having a conversation about this and they said something about how, like, at one point, Kurt compared it to Motley Crue because it got yeah. too smooth. Because it was him. too slick. And it, it bums me out to a degree because that album is such a good album front to back. It that, is. Like, he didn't like it mm-hmm. really as much, but, like, that's just. But it's also too. what made him his millions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, in that time, the Internet was like Netscape uh, Explorer and, and, you know, a lot of chat room kind of stuff. So we really didn't have the resources. Once you find a band to like go find what all the lyrics are to a song Mm -hmm. or go find what their entire back catalog was. And that's where the, the visual aid that I brought with me comes into play. This was the Come As You Are, The Story of Nirvana by Michael Azarad. I think this was one of the first books about Nirvana. And it's it details like the early days it's got a bunch of really cool photos in it, but I remember the thing that sold it to me was in the back. There's a discography yeah. that tells you all the singles and all the extra, like the songs that were on EPs and and uh, compilations. Nice. So it was like a checklist for me of like I need to find these songs. I love right. these Nirvana songs. I need to find these other songs. Now, in I, your musical timeline, does this come before Pearl Jam for you or after Pearl Jam? No, this is this is before Pearl Jam. I can still somewhat clearly remember the first dozen or so tapes I owned. Mm-hmm. Like the first tape I bought for myself was the soundtrack to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because mm-hmm. that had um, Primus, Megadeth, Faith No More. Um, and a bunch of other bands that I, I can't remember at the moment. But like yeah. I got that, and then I got Faith No More's The Real Thing. Gotcha. And then I think I got Van Halen for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Yeah, because they had the Pound Cake video at the time. And then mm-hmm. they did the round and round video where they're on the spinning stage. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun. But I think Nevermind was tape four or five yeah, okay. out of all the tapes I owned. And then a couple of, that, uh, a couple of months later, that birthday, I got... Metallica's Black Album and Pearl Jam's 10. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. For my birthday. So I remember you talking about that you wrote a review for your school newspaper. 
on 10, right? Uh, no, it was for Versus. Oh, it was for Versus. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I knew it was one of the Pearl Jam ones. Yeah. I wasn't sure if, if Pearl Jam comes before that because it's interesting the way the lineage happens. Like, I don't know what bands all started first, who was on Sub Pop, who wasn't, who who is the actual leader of grunge, like, versus who is the most popular leader right, well, of it, grunge. It can know? be, it can be, it's it's subjective. Yeah. Like, for me, the way I was introduced to the Seattle bands and therefore the way I, I enjoyed them was I got that Nirvana tape, and then I think I got Soundgarden's, uh, not super unknown, it was the one, um, it was the one before that, but it's the one with Rusty Cage and, um, outshined yeah on it and it was so metal that like i i liked it but i didn't like it as much as my nirvana album because my nirvana album was much more super unknown no it's the one before that love it's a uh, uh, bad motor finger oh bad motor finger yeah that was the Go one ahead. that i got they reissued that in 2016 so yep. they took it off of down here oh so yeah that's why i was like wait what so i got i get bad motor finger next then i get the pearl jam record and by that time, I have friends that are also into music, and somebody else has gotten like Blood Sugar Sets Magic by the Chili Peppers, mm. and somebody else has Alice in Chains, and and uh, so like to me, I I respected Alice in Chains, but like I didn't buy anything from Alice in Chains until I was buying CDs weekly. Right, exactly. Well, that was like when you were doing that game with me, and you're like, I left Alice in Chains on the table. I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't pick Alice in Chains. Yeah. That's the interesting part. Right. So, but like Alice in Chains has a good discography. It's not that they don't, but it's something about Alice in Chains like works with me when I'm listening to the rest of grunge. Like yeah. it it goes in like if I'm gonna be listening to Alice in Chains, I am either listening to all the grunge stuff or I'm in a bad, bad mental place listening to sure. Nutshell over and over again. <laughs> which is a thing. But I, I wasn't sure where that landed with all of the timelines. So mm-hmm. I had to ask. And like I said, it's subjective because he had plenty of friends. It's funny because uh the Red Hot Chili Peppers like I said, one friend had the Blood Sugar Sex Magic tape. Mm-hmm. They were a little too sexual for me Yeah, at like 16 or 17 because for one thing, I don't actually know what's going on yet sexually. Um, but also it was just like, I remember listening to 10 mm-hmm. and um, I don't remember. It's like the second or third song that Eddie Vedder says she's been diagnosed by some stupid fuck. <laughs> and like I would listen to the stuff really loud because I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. But if they had swear words in them, I had to turn them down so my parents wouldn't hear it. Right, and like, right. And Eddie Vedder swears like three or four times in ten, which is amazing considering how popular that record it was. Mm-hmm. That there were like three or four very clear f words in that <laughs> in that album. I mean, there's when you talk about Red Hot Chili Peppers, though, at the same time, like you can't understand half of the things that he's saying half the time either. So you probably could have gotten away with. Listening oh, there's to some Red stuff Red on Red Blood Sugar Sex Magic you can very yeah, clearly yeah. tell. But like most of the time, is like if if you're muffling through a basement, you're not gonna hear that. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's I I didn't live in my parents' basement for years. Yet. Oh, yeah, we had to yeah. we had to move, and when we moved, I was like, I call the basement. <laughs> So Give me I'm my like, space. I'm like in a room next to the bedroom, the parents' bedroom. Okay, and, yeah. You know, so across you the hall careful. from the communal bathroom and mm-hmm. the kitchen and everything. So yeah, it's like you know, I want to listen to my stuff really loud because I'm a kid and it's it's good. But also like, oh, there's swear words in here. I can't. When my mom wasn't home, I would listen to things very loud. But when she was home, I would just wear my headphones. I was just like a headphone person. That's at that, that point. That's so funny to me because I it never occurred to me to put headphones on. Yeah. You just like wanted my, to hear it as loud as you. Yeah, my could. my yeah. dad would have uh, 
stereo equipment. Like he'd get a receiver and then a CD player and a tape player. And every mm-hmm. time he'd get a new piece of equipment, I got the cast off. Yeah. So I had a pretty cool stereo myself. Mm-hmm. The first one I had was like one of those combo stereos. It's all in ones. Yeah, yeah. So like when the tape player died on it, but the CD player still worked, like you had to keep using it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but eventually, like I said, I got all these cast offs and I had a really cool stereo. But like if friends came over, we didn't put headphones on. We oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Put it on and sat there and played video games while the music was on. Distinctly remember that I got caught once listening to Puddle of Mud very, very loudly at my house because I was jumping around on the bed to She Hates Me. (laughs) And my mom came in my room and it was the unedited one. And she's like, what are you doing? I was just like scambling to shut it off. Yeah, the door opens as soon as like, she fucking hates me. And you're like, But yeah, in addition to kind of introducing me to this new world of rock and roll music, it also, um, I, I attribute Nirvana to why I play guitar. Mm-hmm. Because as I said before, one of my first uh, bands that I was truly in love with was Faith No More, and they had a keyboard player. My mom played piano by ear, so and I had already started to figure some things out. Right. So I was like, cool, I'm going to be a keyboard player. I'm going to be like the guy in Faith No More. He's not the singer, he's not in the front, but he's part of the band, and you get to like you know, be in the band and it's going to be great and ladies are going to love me. Um, well, you got that part right. I did. <laughs> so I played keyboards by myself for a while until I got to high school and then I found somebody who had a band and also loved Faith No More and convinced them to let me come to a band practice but didn't tell my parents that the band practice was on the other side of 8 Mile. <laughs> so when mom found out when I got home where I had been... They were very angry with me, but the compromise was, look, we know you really want to pursue this, so why don't you see if everyone will come practice in our basement? Right. Because then we know where you are, and it's not someplace that we deem dangerous. Right. Uh, So that was the beginning of being in a band that practiced in my parents' basement. That, uh, you know, some we we started with four or five dudes and and we would all play together. And then eventually, like some people would leave or, you know, we would have falling outs with everybody. But um, the original drummer who went by Radar that um, also loved Faith No More. Well, we both really enjoyed Nirvana. And because everyone left their stuff in my basement, I learned to play everything. I learned to play the drums. I learned to play the guitar and the bass guitar and everything. And eventually it turned into this thing where I learned to play guitar by picking up Nirvana songs by ear because there are a lot of just power chords and putting them in the right places. Mm -hmm. So um, eventually Radar and myself... And my good buddy, uh, Ron, who I was have been in the band with, you know, mm. for like 30 years, um, he got a bass guitar. We taught him some stuff and he learned some stuff and we were off to the races and we basically played every Nirvana song we could figure out and then tried to write our own songs, which sounded suspiciously like quite a few Nirvana songs. For the <laughs> longest time, it, if, if I wrote a song, it was because I couldn't figure out a Nirvana song. So I wrote one. That was something I could play that sounded like a Nirvana song. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's how it works half the time. When you first get started, I have a feeling like you're yeah. just trying to, you know, emulate a sound and then you start branching out from that. And I think they, Nirvana also is, uh, and, and that, that particular 90s music scene is a big part of why I gravitate towards B-sides mm-hmm. or like songs that are off the beaten path with a band. Because so often you would get the single to like drain you and it'd have a live track, but then it would have like this studio track that wasn't on the album. Yeah. I'd be like, 
why the hell was even in his youth not on Nevermind? This song is great. Mm-hmm. And it turned into this thing where Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and all these bands would have these amazing songs on these uh, import CD singles you have to pay $30 for for three songs. But right. man, Dirty Frank is an amazing Pearl Jam song. Holy crap, that was worth 30 bucks. And then we would... Like somebody would buy a CD of, you know, like buy the Pearl Jam single and then you would take it over to everybody's house so they could dub it to their cassette. Mm -hmm. And then I can't tell you how many weekends I spent um, reorganizing my Nirvana or Pearl Jam or Smashing Pumpkins (laughs) cassettes with the B-sides on them, like trying to sequence it in a way that I thought made the most sense and sounded the best. Nerd. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want to point out the fact, too, because I know this if you tell it. It's the um, the way that Kurt Cobain's behavior influenced the way that people acted. It did. It, well, when you... Not just you, but many people. Yeah. So fans. so Kurt was very prickly in interviews and like he he had kind of a bipolar personality even on stage. So I took that as well. That's like. Something in my teenage brain said, well, Nirvana is not going to be able to do this forever, so I could do that when they're done doing it. (laughs) So I need to learn how to play all these songs, and I need to learn how to act like that when I'm on stage and and give people the Nirvana experience. I was trying to form a cover band (laughs) before I knew what a cover band was. I was trying to, or a tribute act. I was trying to make a tribute act before I even knew what a tribute act was. And I, I would have to say, I think we nailed it because all our friends would come over. Sometimes we'd have like parties in the basement where we'd have like 20 people over and uh, we would always videotape I've seen our practices these, yeah. or, our, uh, or you know, if we had one of those parties in the basement. And there's some really funny videotapes of like all these teenagers mosh pitting in a, you know, small basement while we're playing and speakers rocking back mm-hmm. and forth because they're falling, they're knocking into them and stuff. I swear to God, I think that that was why I got obsessed with anti-ghost in the way that I am, because it is, it's like I'm living what is on that tape in real time, and that part of, like, underground scene has not changed. And that is, there's something very soothing about that in my brain, because it's like, when we had people that were in bands when I was in high school or whatever, they had a place called, like, Club Second Floor, and it was, like, in the upstairs area of an ice arena. Okay. And so, like, we didn't have the, we're playing in somebody's parents' basement. I mean, we sort of did at Emily's house, but, like, Emily's parents were had more money, so it was like we weren't in like a grungy ass basement. We right. were like in somebody's nice furnished basement where there's an apartment or at the end of the hallway for grandma when she comes in when it's summertime. Like, yeah. So it was a little bit different, but the fact that that is still kind of how how the punk scene and rock scene operates. Sure. End up in some of these like grungy basements that are just like. You know, nobody's paying a cover, but like donate money to play and everybody is throwing their equipment around and stuff like that. It's like it still lives within the DNA mm-hmm. of this type of music. And Do you I remember the first time I saw Anti-Ghost? I told you they've got a Nirvana mm-hmm. energy and I really it was well, someone same- threw a guitar at me and I was like, yep. Yep, no, I love them. I love them. <laughs> it was the same thing. So there was this, when you watched Nirvana play on, on stage, and Kurt Cobain was a big part of this, there was always this feeling 
that it could all fall apart at any minute. Yep. It was like a car that you built out of Lego that worked, but just barely, and it could just crumble at any second. And that's exciting. Yeah. That's an exciting, you know, like high wire act Mm -hmm. to be to be. And when it falls apart, it's usually it's usually either pretty spectacular or it's it's like, oh, I can't believe, you know, it didn't work. Like, for instance, the last time Nirvana was here was the state fairgrounds Mm -hmm. in Detroit. And I got my mom me to buy me tickets. Yeah. And me and her went and uh, I was down on the floor for the first opening act. And after two songs, I went up in the stands and yeah, sat with her nope. to watch for the rest. Of me. Yeah, because I didn't like getting shoved around and mm-hmm. elbowed and punched. And I was like, I came here to watch the band, not yeah, get beat yeah. up. <laughs> so I, w- I mean, some people do the opposite. <laughs> right. So I went up in the stands and I watched them eat puppets and were blo- was blown away. And then uh, I, I watched Nirvana. But at the during Scentless Apprentice, which was during the encore, people kept throwing shoes all night and somebody hit... The microphone Kurt was using into his mouth, and he just tossed his guitar down and left. Yeah. And the band, like Chris and Pat and um, Dave, kept playing, but there were no vocals. Yeah. And they just finished the song and then went off stage. And a couple minutes later, the lights went up, and we were told to go home. Yeah. They were just done. And I don't blame him. Yeah. Not at all. No. Even even as a teenager, I wasn't like, oh, fuck him. I was like... No, dude, that's bullshit. I mean, quit throwing your shoes at at the band. The fact that that was happening again right after the pandemic, where everybody was throwing shit at people, yeah, like, why do you go to a show if you're just gonna throw shit at whoever's playing? Like, that's unnecessary. Yeah, that's why when Cardi B chucked her mic back at the person that threw something, and I'm like, good for her. Yeah, she was like, fuck this. Plus, microphones are heavy. Yeah, exactly. Lock somebody. You can. So it's it's like a can of soup. (laughs) It's got force. Got force. Exactly. This is just soup for my family. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and a big part of it was uh, hunting down bootleg tapes of shows. And sometimes they were terrible bootlegs. And then mm-hmm. sometimes they were fantastic. Sometimes you got bootlegs of like the demos that would inevitably be on the box set with the mm-hmm. lights out. So yeah. like there were songs on there that we learned to play off the demo. Mm-hmm. And it was fun because people thought it was your song. And then you'd be like, no, no, no. That's a Nirvana song you've never heard before. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome, too. And that whole box set was wild. I I think I told you, like, that's kind of where I had, I got that black album that I have on vinyl. Yeah, the greatest hits record. That's where I started and then had to backtrack through some stuff. But somebody gave me an extra copy. Like, someone broke up with someone and they left their mm. with the lights out at that person's house, so they gave me it. Yeah, because it was like a girl from Canada, so they were never gonna see her again. So right. they gave me hers, and I loved the thing, and it was great. And I still have it on. It's actually on my phone because it was in my iPod. Right. So I have uh, like a download of one of my iPods on a hard drive, and I put it on my phone. But it's it's interesting to see like what never made the cut. Mm-hmm. And how many things are interesting, and I run into that with Smashing Pumpkins as well, where there are these random B-sides that I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Why did that not ever go anywhere? Right. I never went into the Pearl Jam one because I, I haven't even gone through, I only know surface level Pearl Jam and like the few random tracks that my cousin's boyfriend gave me. I was going to say, not to deviate too much, but I respect Pearl Jam for having a career as long as they have mm-hmm. because- there are probably a lot of people, it's it's a lot of people, Pearl Jam fans in the way that there are a lot of Smashing Pumpkins fans that would tell you that like the career was over after the third album. Yeah. 
Like, well, that happens with every band. There's Metallica and Slipknot, too. There's a lot of... There's got to be plenty of Pearl Jam fans that will tell you, like, uh, 10 is an amazing album. Versus has some amazing stuff on it. Vitology is about half and half. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it's just like, it's not the same band. Yeah. And there's probably tons of reasons for that. But at the same time, look at... They have continue to make records. They continue to make pretty damn good songs on these new records that are worth hearing. Like, though you can say that about a lot of bands when it comes to like the way that their progression of albums as their career continues. Sure. I mean, like we had that conversation when you were picking um, stuff for that game that you were doing. You picked the killers, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And I'm like, why would you do that? They don't have a solid catalog all the way through. Right. And it's like they have good music in the front half, but like for me, when you start to get to like that um, are we human or are we dancers era of the killers i'm like nah i'm good i don't need any more of that or even listening to the new green day album i'm like i like the new green day album i think it's, it's good but it's not american idiot it's not dookie it's right not nimrod like it's got a very different thing same thing with fallout boy there is a chunk of fallout boy that i just don't listen to yeah chunk of Radiohead that you don't listen to but i listen to right you know that sort of thing so a which lot is of funny because currently the chunk of Radiohead i end up listening to is the ones that i didn't used to listen to <laughs> Well, you've changed. Right. In Rainbows, you were like, yeah. And I'm like, right. no, I love In Rainbows. It's great. But I get that it's not guitars, you know? So, Which is funny because In Rainbows was their return to guitars. <laughs> but, like, I mean, the just their sound as it, they yeah. progressed, like, they went less and less guitar. They stopped writing pop songs. They stopped using the formula for writing a pop song, mm-hmm. like, right after... Um, Paranoid Android. Yeah. Right, right after OK Computer. Exactly. They were like, what if we just... Do whatever we want. Well, because there's like a chunk of people that it's like and they, it's the same they thing. want amnesiac, OK Computer, and um, Pablo Honey, and what's the fourth one? There's one more I'm missing. Are you talking about the Benz? Yes. Yeah. No. Because Pablo Honey and the no, Benz were the first two more. records. There's one more. I'm bad at remembering all this. Is Hail to the Thief? Is that what you're looking no. for? And I don't know. I could just keep naming <laughs> Radiohead records and you're just going to keep well, telling me no. Kid A. Okay. That's what I'm looking for. So, like, I have a playlist that only goes up to uh, in Rainbows. And right. That's where it stops. But, like, there are, I feel like that happens a lot. But when it, when you look at something like Nirvana, there's not that. And I don't know if it's because there's not a longevity past I, it, that it, or if totally. it's just like. And there were, you, you've you seen, I didn't bring them in here, but like I have all these Rolling Stones magazines mm-hmm. from the In Utero era and from inevitably when Kurt kills himself. Um, and there was a lot of talk about, you know, In Utero wasn't as slick as Nevermind. And it had some stuff that was very not poppy on it and that was the direction they were going in yeah that was what kurt was looking to do he yes he made millions of dollars making never mind a pop record and he wasn't going to stop writing songs like dumb or all apologies right but it's not what he wanted to be known for right so he was going to get noisier and louder and weirder Mm -hmm. you know if they would have continued and maybe i think i think a lot of my generation forward has that like you you understand that like after album two or three, it's not going to be the same band anymore, right? And it's it's just how it is. It's interesting to see like all of the literature on it too, like not just the books, but those old Rolling Stones and stuff. Because you have yours, your copies, and then I have some copies that are like fifteen year anniversary and never mind, right? 
and, and going through those and piecing together and then all the research I ended up doing on the Nirvana baby, <laughs> the yeah. mind guy trying to sue these people for being on this cover. And there's so much that is documented history of that. And I don't, <coughs> there's something about the way that music is now where I don't feel like there, that there's going to be like a legendary situation there, like the way that this is. And I don't think it's just because he killed himself. I think no. it's the impact of the band and everything else that's there. I think it has well, a lot to do. There's not going to be magazines and magazines on Fallout Boy. I think it has a lot to do with what I was going back to about, like, we didn't immediately have... Like, you discover a new band now, and you can immediately go on any one of three services and listen to their entire catalog. Right. And, like, I get Nevermind, and I listen to that tape for the next month while I'm accumulating allowance money, and then I go get Bleach. Right. And I got to tell you, the first time I listened to Bleach, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> there are two songs on here that sound remotely as cool as the shit on Nevermind. What the fuck? Well, it's different, you know? It's super different. But then you start to, you know, it, you you start to, uh, an album or a band starts to grow on you and you start to go into their catalog and be like, well, what is this weird song here? And what is mm -hmm. what is this B-side over here? And, and this kind of thing. And you start to see how it all comes together to make uh, what it is. I remember... So a couple of things I wanted to mention before we wrap up was that obviously Kurt Cobain kills himself a couple of years, you know, in after after this. Um, I remember uh, getting in utero and and I was on board immediately, like even though it's it's very jarring and, and the production is I can't remember the guy who produced it, but it's the guy that did the Pixies albums. Mm -hmm. um, it Immediately that big drum sound like, yes. Yes, I love this. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. Uh, the In Utero Tour was how I saw them live. They then, that New Year's Eve, play MTV. Uh, and that's the Live and Loud set that I have on DVD now. Mm -hmm. I remember watching that and feeling like, just, like watching it the way I watch bands now, I'm just studying what he's playing on his hand. And I'm mm -hmm. studying the things he's doing and how he's interacting with the, the crowd and, and trying to like pick up like, that's stuff I'm going to do yeah, when I'm on yeah. stage or when I'm in somebody's basement and I'm, you know, performing for somebody's birthday party, mm -hmm. whatever. I'm going to I'm going to do that stuff because then they're, they're getting the Nirvana experience. Right. Kind of thing. Um, I think we got uh, unplugged. I know we got unplugged before he was dead. Yeah. Like on MTV. And I remember that was also very fascinating to watch. Um, that definitely was an impactful moment as well. Yeah. Like that was the that's the one that everybody talks about. Like yep. that one, the Alice and Chains one. Well, and that's the that's the interesting thing. Yeah, the Alice and Chains one happens after Nirvana, yes. but before Nirvana did unplug, Pearl Jam did. Yeah, and arguably that is where they come into their own is Probably, on that yeah. on that unplugged because I just know on, they always talk about the Nirvana one. Like, yeah, if anybody brings up unplugged, Nirvana is the first thing that comes out of somebody's mouth. Because up to that point, unplugged was kind of the same set. Mm -hmm. and you just put a different band in it every time kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Nirvana was the first time it's like, well, let's really put production value into this. Let's, you know, what do we want to go? Well, let's put candles everywhere and let's mm -hmm. put flowers so it looks like a funeral yeah, kind yeah. of thing and, and do all this stuff. And that's why that would like from that point on that every unplugged is like, OK, how can we make it different? How can yeah. we throw more production into it and make it a bigger and bigger deal? Um, and then. So the day the news broke that Kurt had shot himself. Uh, it's, it was a couple of days after my birthday in April and I had gone with a friend to Royal Oak and picked up 
uh, a Nirvana bootleg that had like some demos on it or something. And yeah. It was super cool. And then I come home and we don't have cell phones yet. So I call my dad. My band had a, a show that night Ooh. at the Grounds Coffee House downtown at the U of D um, campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I call my dad. And I'm like, hey, we just got back from the record store. I should be home in a couple minutes. And he's like, did you hear the news? So I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Kurt Cobain's dead. And I'm like, that's not funny. Yeah. Because I thought he was screwing with me. Yeah. And then he's like, no, turn on MTV. It's all it's all over the television. And it was. And that night we uh, we played our set. And then I think I was in a separate band than the one that did all the Nirvana songs mm-hmm. with Raider um, and Ronnie. Uh, and uh, but they showed up to the show mm-hmm. and we got on the instruments and we played a couple of Nirvana songs because mm-hmm. it was very raw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, it was very like, I can't believe this is happening. Kind right. Of thing. Yeah. And then I remember about a week after the the thing with Courtney Love where she sends the recorded message out mm-hmm. for, for all the people that were at that park. Um, I went to I went back to the record store in, in Royal Oak to get um more nirvana cassettes and uh i picked out a couple of cassettes and then i got in line behind this guy with long hair and the guy at the counter was talking to him and they were obviously friends and then the guy with the long hair like he saw him look past him at me and he's like oh you got a customer and he walked away and as he turned i recognized him and it was dave grohl Mm -hmm. and i was like I, i looked at the guy at the counter i was like you know, is that who I think it is? And he's like, yeah, but don't, don't. Yeah. And I was like, no, I would never. Yeah, no. I'm alone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was, you know, within two feet of Dave Grohl a couple of weeks after Kurt was dead. Yeah. Um, he was not in a good place. He was he, not. He and I wouldn't. the book, it's it's rough. I cried through that whole I'm sure. chapter. I'm sure. A couple chapters. It was the, the emotion and the confusion that was in his head at that time is so raw that it just like it destroyed me. Yeah. <laughs> I was house sitting for someone listening to it on headphones and was just walking around the house crying. I'm right. sure I was freaking out all the animals. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> but in a way, at least personally, I think it was healthier for me. Like I don't, I certainly don't wish the man dead, um, and and you know I, I wish Kurt had lived to his old age to be an embarrassing old rock star, um, <laughs> and to do music that I didn't care for, um, but it did force me to look to other avenues when it came to my guitar playing. Yeah, and to and I think by that time, like I said, I don't think uh, Radar. I was I don't know that I was still playing in the band with Radar, but I know that eventually it got to a point where. I had learned every Nirvana song and I'm trying to learn these Pearl Jam songs and I'm trying to learn these Alice in Chains songs or Soundgarden songs and stuff like that. And I'm looking at other bands and then I figured out how to play uh, a Smashing Pumpkins song and mm-hmm. was like, oh, well, I like this. Yeah. And that was the next step for me as a playing guitar was, OK, well, how do I play this stuff? Well, I'm going to have to get better. I'm going to have to learn scales. I'm going to have to learn full chords instead of bar chords and power mm-hmm. chords and stuff. And that is why everybody calls you the love child of Billy Corgan and Kurt Cobain when it comes well, to know. guitar playing. I don't know that everybody does, but I know that... Well, there's, there's quite a few of us that do. Yeah, most of the people, most of the guys that I've been in bands with is like, dude, he plays like Kurt Cobain and Billy Corgan. Yeah. So... 
No, I can see it even the the sound, the tones and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I do see other influences. Like I always tell you like that Star's hum, like the, mm. that guitar tone just sounds so you to me that yeah. I don't know why, but like that's That warms my heart. Yeah, that, like, that's the sound that I like I hear it and it's just very you. That buzz. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, that buzz sound. It's really that that fuzzy audio audio in a higher pitch, but like And I did pick up a lot of uh my stage goofiness mm-hmm. that I would when I when I played with the band regularly from Billy Joe Armstrong as well. Yeah, like there's when, a lot of running around when and, when Green Day broke and like they did a couple of live shows that you could see on MTV and in regular rotation. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. That looks fun. I can't believe he can still do that. He's got so much energy. Yeah, he's all over the place. Like we saw them at Kobo and Bing Bing Bing. Yeah, I'm Just like running back and I'm forth. like, is this man on cocaine? He is sober. <laughs> what? He is sober. Um. <laughs> But he's got a, quite a bit of energy, and I, I actually didn't know that. Um, so Trey Cool used to scare David Letterman. Oh, yeah. So what he would do was he would, like, at the end of the set, he would climb over his drum kit and fall on the ground and then go chase after David Letterman. Oh, really? Yeah, there's, like, I know, video clips of this. I saw him do it on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and I think I saw him do it maybe on Letterman yeah, or something like else. He, he didn't chase like Letterman, that. but as soon as the song was over... He runs. Yes, that's a yeah. camera. Yep, he and he runs. goes. He goes. It would scare the crap out of me. Like him just like bolting out of the room yep. like that. But he like would like just roll over the drum kit and fall on the ground and then get up and run away. Yeah, and he's like, "What the fuck's wrong with this guy?" Which is honestly, that's a that's a great gimmick. It is. It it's is like a, a gag. like I don't I don't have to sit like do the wave and the thing or like no I'm done. <laughs> Out. I, I wish he still did that. Right. <laughs> Rolls right over it. This is great stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you see it a lot in like these other bands, and I think that's why like Nirvana is definitely one of the more important ones to talk about, no matter what, when you're talking about music in general and alternative music, because they have influenced so many people. Even people that were active at that time had their influences through sure. that. But the fact that you can still see it in bands today, you see that energy come out within some people, even if they don't sound like it. Because if I wanted to make a case for it, even somebody like Josh from Bad Flower has a certain He's got energy. Nirvana energy to There's him. certain energy that the you guy, see in these guys. The guy that I listened to, uh, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, that was the lead singer of the Refreshments. When you heard the Refreshments, you're like, that guy's got... He's he's got a curt sounding voice. Mm-hmm. The kid from Silverchair. Mm-hmm. We were convinced, man. Just put him with Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic and keep going. Yeah. The hell. <laughs> and then Silverchair to make a second record that sounded nothing like the first record. <laughs> I was like, oh, he doesn't want to do that stuff. Yeah. Never mind, man. <laughs> but yeah, you. But see yeah, it I don't so think much. it's. I don't. I don't think it's overblowing it to say that it completely changed the landscape mm-hmm. and and for generations to come when they think in the same way that. As we were talking about the who and the hue uh, <laughs> earlier, in the same way that the who changed the landscape for rock and roll mm-hmm. in their generation, yeah, um, I think Nirvana definitely changed things for my generation. Definitely, probably for yours as well. Oh yeah, the the bands that are out there now and in the way that people even behaved, and you see you see some of that expanding into 
you know, you when you move into the next generation, like I don't look at Gerard Way and go, that's a product of Kurt Cobain. But there are many people that are a product of Gerard Way. Yeah. And like there are certain bands will they're not as big as like a My Chemical Romance or something. And you'll see the, you know, the influences there. But I think that every generation does have that. But for some reason, the power of Nirvana goes far past that. Hit us with Mr. Walkway. <laughs> but like, if you if you look at all of it and go past it, yeah, beyond so many generations, I still think that Nirvana is influencing bands today. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you mentioned Gerard Way. Like we both know that he was a huge Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins fan. Exactly. It's, this, it's the same thing. A lot of those '90s bands ended up being the roots of what would come for mm-hmm. the next like 20 30 years and i'm sure even our parents would look at bands like led zeppelin or the who or something like that and be right. like yeah like the who was destroying their instruments before nirvana was so obviously they were a big influence on that and mm-hmm. and the beatles are another you know kind of sea change as far as music is concerned where it's like now everything has tinges of the beatles in it and yep. will for decades and decades to come truth so yeah, that was uh, basically my fandom and my journey when it comes to Nirvana. Super interesting. All right. I'm glad you were interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with our serotonin boost. Welcome back, everyone, to the Really Big Fan Podcast. And thank you to our guest. Wait, that was me. <laughs> thank you to our guest thank for, you telling, to you. for telling thank us all about... Uh, yeah. Thank- Snoop, Snoop Dogg did that once where he got up on a mic to like request or uh, thank for an award. Yeah. And he was like, I want to thank me. I want to thank me. And then he ended up putting out an album called that. <laughs> I want to thank me. So there you go. As always, you can follow us on social media at Really Big Fan Pod. That's where you can tell us uh, your feelings on, on Nirvana or uh, anything you want to you want to chat with us about. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, we're on T-W-I-T-T-E-R. <laughs> We're also on threads, right? Are we on threads? Yeah, we technically are. I just don't really use it. Yeah, and the Facebook and all the social medias. Yeah. And you can find us on Patreon. That's where you can, for five bucks a month, get not only ad-free versions of this show, like there's ads in this show, um, but you can also get uh, our really big fan podcast double feature, which I've got to edit the latest episode of me and Mike Pandoff, walking you through some of our favorite movies of all time and uh, ranking them into our top list. We're going to have to do something. About that list. I need to talk to him about this. What? Because, like, we can't crack the top five anymore. We just can't. Between the two of us, we cannot find a movie that cracks the top five that we've got in that list. We need to, like, I don't know, at the, at the, I got to come up with something. (laughs) There's no way Heat and Scott Pilgrim, even though they are great movies, there's no way we've never seen a movie that's better than Heat or Scott Pilgrim at this point. But what we're trying to say... Is that sponsor an artist today for five bucks a month? <laughs> you can get, you could sponsor some poor podcasters. <laughs> oh, I'm too early. Look at look at that sad sad podcaster right there. Don't you want to sponsor that podcaster? <laughs> Sorry. I've been trying to cue that up for the last minute and I couldn't pull the one. I should have seen what you were doing and then just started singing. <laughs> All right, it's serotonin boost time. You got one? 
You told me that I had one the other day. What was it? Uh, it was the fact that you were listening to Creed. <laughs> no, I thought there was one that I, like, you were like, oh, yeah, that should be your serotonin boosters. Yeah, no, you were talking about how much you loved higher. <laughs> so I have this problem when I get stoned. You got like, stoned. I, I keep listening to da- divorce dad rock while I'm stoned. And for some reason, like, it's either, it's been lately, it's been Creed or it's been um, Bush. Yeah. Where, like, I'll just, I'll get really stoned and then I'm like, oh, this is tickling some part of my brain. I'm just going to go listen to it. And then you played me the worst song ever, or rather it came on and then you're like, hey, you want to see Gavin Rossdale ruin a song? Okay, so typically when she's listening to something, she's listening to a playlist that she has curated um, rarely ever do I hear her listening to an album I've not heard her listen to before. And I come home from work the other day and she is listening to 16, not 16 stone. Um, the one with greedy flies, razor blade suitcase, yes. which I'm a big fan of. Cause once again, it's the same producer that did in utero and all those pixies albums. Mm-hmm. And I can't fucking remember his name, but I love him. <laughs> um, but I like I I hear swallowed, which I've heard you listen to before, and that was like the big single off it. And then the album continues, yeah. and I'm in the other room, and I'm just like playing a video game, and I'm like, I'm digging this. I like listening to this album, but I've never heard you listen to this album, mm-hmm. which means that when you got to um, the ballad that's in the middle of the album, once again forgetting names. Um, I knew what was coming, but was fairly certain you didn't know what was coming. Yes, because I've never listened to that album all the way. So yeah, midway through, I'm like, wait, wait, they're going to ruin the entire song here in just two seconds. walking through the hallway, like I'd got up to go get a snack. And um, you were like, oh, hey, you want to hear Gavin Rossdale ruin this part of the album? Or this song, and I was like, uh, wait, what? And I'm straight no chaser. That's the one. So it basically is their version of, um, it's like the sequel to Glycerine. Glycerine. And then he's like, but wait, and it's calm and it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden, it is the most atrocious string section I've ever heard. It's this weird discordant, like it's, it's a, a violin and, uh, probably a cello and something else. And they're they're in key with each other, but they are not in key with the song. And they're just like playing a uh, a scale over it. And it's just like it's not remotely in key. And I'm sure it was done completely on purpose in a very Kurt Cobain way of like, I'm going to make this perfect, beautiful song and then I'm going to destroy punch a hole in it. Yep. In the middle of it. And so he got to see in real time me both laughing and going, what the fuck was that? Yep. So, yeah, when I get stoned, I listen to Divorce Dad Rock, and it does make me happy. I'm a little upset that you called Bush Divorce Dad Rock. I mean, it sort of is. They're on the fringe. They're read, but they're on the fringe. Uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Nickelback mm-hmm. uh, hits me as that. Um, theory of a Dead Man, maybe? Yeah, well, these are, okay, so... I have the playlist, and this is the playlist that I'm usually listening to for some reason. I like that it's called Why Am I Like This? <laughs> it's called Why Am I Like This? And it has Fuel. Fuel is good. Yeah, Fuel. Bush, Default, one song from Crossfade, one song from Stained. Stained, yes, absolutely Stained. Creed. Um, I have Echo from Trap, Trap on there. Really good one. Um, Stone Sours Through Glass. Yep. Um, there's Goo Goo Doll's name on here. 
huh, filters take a picture, the two slow Limb Biscuit songs of Rearranged and The One. So, like, that is what I'm usually listening to. So it's, like, depressed yacht rock more so than, like... But then you came in in the kitchen last night while you were high. And it was blaring one last breath. No, you were blaring higher. Oh, You were like, yeah, song is so good. Like, it has no right to be that good. (laughs) Like, the the guitar tone definitely got that, like... You listen to, like, the... So there's, what, three Creed albums? Yeah. You listen to the back to Creed albums and then listen to Alter Bridge? That's the same band, right? No. Uh, well, I think there might be crossover members, but there's a different singer. Yes. That's why... Uh, Miles Kennedy. Yes. Who's now Miles Kennedy in The Conspirators yes. and not Alter Bridge, even though he still does Alter Bridge. But my point but is... Part of that... You is, listen to the band... I didn't listen when to... Creed stops and the band when Alter Bridge begins, and you can tell it's the same band. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. See, I won't listen to Alter Bridge, though. The, literally, the only Alter Bridge song I listen to is Metalingus, and that's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> exactly! Because Edge's song makes me laugh. It, yeah, it's pretty fun. But, like, there is a chunk of, like, that 2000s shit rock. There's something about it that is has a special place in my soul. And for some reason, that comes out when I'm stoned. And so, like, I will be, like, looking at my phone to see, okay, well, what do I want to listen to? And it's usually the the grungy playlist yeah. which has most of that stuff on that you typically hear me listening to. But then I'm like, no, now I have this playlist called Why Am I Like This? Because I know that it's bad. <laughs> I know that it's but it's like at the same time, it's got the same guitar tonal quality that you would hear in, like, the the big solo in Candlebox's um I think Candlebox mixes with those bands way more yeah. than Bush does. Yeah, probably. But like I was picking the slow Bush songs too. Yeah. Like they it basically has glycerin. Yeah, yeah, like stick a machine. Swaller. Exactly. Like it's the slower stuff. That's why the Limp Biscuit ones fit in there so well. But like you have far behind from Candlebox and that has that epic guitar solo yeah. in it which it has no right to be as good as it is. Right. And that's kind of what I get out of higher too, is that the full-on guitar solo is just like, like you see eagles flying through the air. Yes, you do. It's the reason they played it at the Super Bowl. Yeah, all that. So that's how that works in my brain. I don't know. But that apparently is my serotonin boost, is that I'm fucking weird. <laughs> and I'm fine with it. You were saying that uh, Creed is turning into Limp Biscuit for you. Oh, yes. At yeah. first it was a joke, and now you're like, no, I think I legitimately love this. <laughs> It just makes me happy for some reason. Yeah. But then um, I That's said, what a serotonin boost is. I said something about it in the group chat to the concert photographers. Like, I'm going to cry if I don't get that show. And Jacob's like, are you serious? And I'm like, it's for the meme, dude. Like, if I get to shoot Creed, it's the meme, dude. And it's just like, I don't understand you. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's why I, I was telling you, like, Scott Stapp is one of those people that... Uh, no one's really sang like Eddie Vedder before Eddie Vedder. Yes. But then Eddie Vedder did it, and a bunch of people who couldn't sing but could make that noise mm-hmm. decided, well, I could be a singer. Yep. And now we have Scott Stapp. <laughs> and then we got Scott Stapp. <laughs> Scott Stapp is a fine singer. <laughs> he actually can enunciate if he wants to. He does yeah. it on his own. But it's stuff. funnier if he doesn't. But it's funnier if he doesn't. <laughs> well, my serotonin boost is also music-related, and that is that I took a bit from a couple weeks ago and have turned it into my alarm. Because my bit, because I came up with this. <laughs> so when I was, once again, 
stone out of my mind. It was like one in the morning. And I, I like I don't use my um by that acronym life um profile on threads nearly as much. So it should be easy to find. Yeah, it's the last thing I tweeted. It's like one in the morning and I tweet, I just had the thought that the worst alarm for your phone would be ants marching from Dave Matthews band. Not because it's Dave Matthews, but you can imagine if you slept through the instrumental and then you just hear him yell, he wakes up in the morning at full volume. So then Chuck decided ants marching was going to it's be marching. alarm. It's marching is my new alarm. <laughs> so in the morning, it's brr. It's here you go. Come on, play it. Play it. <laughs> Piece of garbage. <coughs> oh, you son of a bitch. So yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna play. It won't play it, but I actually cut it into like five different clips and I'm trying to find a randomizer for my alarm so that oh it will play God. one of those five. And they're all bits from Ants Marching. There's literally one of them starts with, he wakes up and <laughs> there's one that's lights down you up and die. And then there's one of him going, he ain't nobody on the stage, nobody on it. Whose hand, whose hand, doing all the scatting and stuff. Oh, and I, 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 I tell you what. This is how I wake up in the morning now is hearing this. I it it, it, it I hop out of bed and it does make me smile. Do you, do you dance to the, the closet? <laughs> Do you do that dance from that group that John sent you the other day? <laughs> There's a video clip of Hop out of bed, Dave Matthews. Grab one of my guitars and then dance like Dave Matthews. Yep, all the way to the closet. <laughs> so you see what I have to live with. Yep. <laughs> and for five bucks a month. You can too. <laughs> For five bucks a month, you can support a starving creator. Look at this sad face. <laughs> Zoom in on the quivering lip. Oh my god. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week's really big fan podcast. Thank you guys for listening to our stupidity. Stupidity. We'll be back next week with plenty more. more. stupidity. Plenty more. <laughs> and we already know what next week's interview is going to be, potentially, as long as nothing else happens. But we right. we'll be talking about more music, so get used to it. Yeah, it's a music podcast now. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Who's hand? Who's hand? He wakes up and.